0: Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 2. Verse 2, and we are going to read from verse 2 all the way through uh, verse 16. Friend, I, w- I want to, before we get into this, I want to give you a recommendation for those of you who are growing in your love for the Word and you're looking for ways to. Um, actually enhance your devotional life, your your time in the Word. Um, Crossway puts out this great tool called the Journaling uh, New Testament. Um, Hardcover, so it's not going to get bent in whatever um, bag you put it in. It has a, a wonderful spacing between lines and nice margins all around, and this has become my uh, my tool for walking through Scripture. And so, I just really want to encourage you. It, it it's a lot of fun to um, use that little kid coloring pencils and highlighting, and have those aha moments, and write down what you what you're discovering. And so, I, I want to encourage you find a tool uh, if. Y- an unused Bible is a soul, a picture of a soul that has not been practicing the Word of God, who's not in the Word of God. So find, find something that is helping you to grow in your knowledge, to grow in your faith, um, And this is one tool that works for me. Find something that works for you. Uh, so having said that, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Starting at verse 2. Hear God's word. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us, by the coming of Titus, and not only in his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if, you, if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it though i did regret it for i see that the letter grieved you though only for a while as it is i rejoice not because you were grieved but because you were grieved into repenting <laughs> for i felt a for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent In the matter. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit had been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the title for this morning's sermon is Godly Confrontation. And One of the main differences uh, in how we relate to each other is uh the level of confrontation with which we are comfortable when i when i say the word confrontation uh, a lot of us probably think of a scenario that we've experienced that is involving high levels of anxiety and tension confrontation it's an anxious moment and it, it's uncomfortable. There's a tension in the room. You can feel it. It's palpable. It's real. Or you, you, there, you might even think about people communicating aggressively or passively or passive-aggressively. People are communicating that way in the midst of confrontation. You, you might think about uh, either uh, a fight or flight or frozen in the midst of confrontation. Right? You might think that in confrontation that there are there is some kind of battle or there is some kind of power struggle going on. And I'm not talking about in this confrontation about just the, the workplace confrontation. This is something that we can even experience in our closest relationships, right? Where it feels tense. There's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser in the midst of this. Anybody ever experience those things? In other words, some of us also, when we think about confrontation, it equals conflict. And conflict, especially for those personalities who do not only uh, tolerate but enjoy conflict, it is scary, it is uncomfortable, and it is painful. Some of us in this room when it comes to confrontation, are very direct. Very direct. Uh, you you are. T- I'm just going to speak my mind. I'm going to tell you what I think. There's really very little filter, and you just shoot from the hip, right? You're you're very direct. It's an open and closed case. This is how it is. And you might be like uh, the singer songwriter Pink. Anybody know who Pink is? Pink said this. A lot of people have problems with public confrontation. But it doesn't worry me at all. I can handle myself. I know my martial arts. Just like, I can handle it. I've got it. Bring it on. Confrontation. It's going to be direct. I'm confident in myself. I'm going to go right at it. I'm going to dig in. But others of us, other of us are far more indirect. We avoid conflict conflict. We, we, we hate it. It scares us. Uh, the problem isn't that there isn't always a healthy option because the root, the problem is that the root never gets addressed though when we have this real indirect avoidance kind of thing going on. The challenge for each of us is how to confront in a healthy way that actually resolves the problem And it brings healing and encouragement. That's what healthy confrontation is. Where it addresses the very root of the problem and it is done in such a way that it ultimately brings about healing and encouragement. This is important personally it's important if we are going to be maintaining for us here a, a gospel culture of safety. It's important. We, we need to be a safe place as a church for confrontation. We want to know how healthy, good confrontation works, no matter if we love it or if we are terrified of it. Because godly confrontation is absolutely necessary for the health of the local church. Godly confrontation is absolutely healthy for friendships, marriages, parenting. We've got to know how to do godly confrontation in such a way that it addresses the issue and brings about health and encouragement. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book... um, Uh, Living Together, wrote this. Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sins. Nothing can be more cruel than just letting our friends stew in their sin. But he says, nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community, back from the path of sin. Do you see how that is helps create a gospel culture? Even a severe reprimand is compassionate because what is it doing? It is calling someone back from the path of sin. So today we, we want to look at what Scripture has to say about godly confrontation. So we've been looking at this book of 2 Corinthians for a while and that that church has been riddled with all kinds of sin issues and confrontations and, and power struggles going on and Paul is addressing godly confrontation today in this section of Scripture. So from this passage, I think that we can learn two things about godly confrontation. And here's the first one. The first thing is that we need godly confrontation. I need godly confrontation. You need godly confrontation. Here's the truth about us every one of us is constantly out of line. We are, or should I say it this way, we are constantly out of alignment. We're out of alignment. At least I know I am, and I I suspect you are as well. I could have the best day. With God and feel close to God. It's just palpable. It's real. It's tangible. I am with God. I might find myself, uh, as Paul says, to pray without ceasing. Every t- everywhere I'm going, I'm thinking about things about in a godly way. I'm loving people. I'm serving people. And and I just feel the reality of God's love for my life. And but here's the reality: the next day, I wake up as a sinner. I wake up again broken and I ask myself, why am I angry with my wife? Why am I ticked off at that? Why did I just swear or think those ungodly words? What is going on? What just happened here? The reality is overnight, lethargy just kind of sets in. And so every day I have to start over again and I've got to seek God the next day. And so I just naturally find myself out of alignment and the same is true with you but there's a whole nother level to it just as cars get out of alignment from driving on bad roads you know the more potholes that you hit the quicker your car is going to be finding itself out of alignment the reality is you and I live on bumpy roads we work in bumpy places we have bumpy relationships. We have bumpy children and bumpy parents. And we look at this, we've even kind of looked at this a couple weeks ago, but, and the reality is if you want to follow Jesus and you want to love Jesus with all of your heart, you, the reality is we, we live in a very hard, difficult culture. And it's only, my friends, it's only going to be grow worse. You think it's bad now? Until Jesus comes back, it's going to slowly, progressively, and sometimes it is going to feel like it's on fast forward. It's going to get worse. We're constantly fighting a riptide in our culture. That is desiring to, to suck us away. All you have to do is to be drawn away from your devotion in Christ and it doesn't take much to be drawn away. We all get off course and we need to expect that we are going to be drawn off course. Even the most godly of us in here those of us who read our, our devotions in the morning and we at our coffee time we read another set of devotions and at lunchtime you open the Today or the Our Daily Bread and you do another set of devotions and in the afternoon you do another set of devotions. Then you pull out your Bible memory verse and you, you go, oh, I got that one down, I got that one down. Oh, and then uh, you're going to read your Westminster Confession and then you're going to wrap up the end of the evening by the Heidelberg Catechism and you're doing really great. The reality is every one of us is going to be drawn off course, and we need to expect it. You and I, we are weak people. And that's where godly confrontation comes in. We have to begin with this knowledge that we all need confrontation. So in this letter that we have before you, we have an example of godly confrontation. And you read that here in, in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. Do you hear the, the context? It's, man, you guys are broken, but I am writing to you out of just out of pain. I'm writing. I'm afflicted. There's, there's this anguish in my heart. I have tears for you. And I'm doing this because I love you. The church in Corinth has a ton of issues going on. And one of them is that there was a group in the church that had stirred up conflict against Paul, who started the church. They're making all kinds of false accusations against him. And Paul weighed in on how to respond, but he did it ever so gently, but absolutely with clarity. And in the passage we just read, Paul says that he was actually glad that he did that. 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8. For even if I made, if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you. It hurt. There was pain. Though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repentance. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Paul is saying, man, I am glad that I did it. And here's what I I want you to see. That confrontation is very difficult for both the confronted and for the church. And yet it is absolutely necessary. If the confrontation had never happened, the church would ultimately become sick. It was necessary. The right kind of confrontation was hard, but it brought about healing and health to that local church in Corinth. Justin Buzzard, who is a a pastor in, in Southern California, writes about the culture that he wants to build within his church, and he wrote this on his website. Run to the tension. I've been teaching our leaders and our whole church to run to the tension. As they lead and navigate relationships in our church and in our city, when conflict, tension, and difficulty show up, run to it. How many of you feel uncomfortable right now? You know, run to the tension. No, there's there's no way. Run away. You know, it's kind of the Monty Python thing. Run away, run away. Sorry. Face it, deal with it, lead through it now, not later. Our instinct is to ignore tension, but ignoring conflict now will only make a bigger and messier conflict three months from now. (laughs) It's true. We're we're used to running away from tension because we think that the first signs of conflict mean the beginning of the end of the relationship. Not true, Justin Buzzard writes. Conflict is normal in every relationship, and navigating conflict with humility and direct communication makes relationships stronger and healthier. Run to the tension. So this first part of the sermon is really for those of us who need to confront others, but we're scared out of our minds to do that. And here's what I'm not saying, though. Let's not become a church that's always rebuking others. If you enjoy confrontation, you probably need to stop uh, confronting others. It's probably a problem. If you love it, it's like, bring me in. Another round, come on. I'll do it. There's probably a problem. This needs to be a church in which we are constantly encouraging others on a regular basis, affirming our, 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 our lives for each other. That is encouraging others, outdoing ourselves and showing honor to one another. We need to be outdoing ourselves each other in showing honor and love and appreciation at least eighty percent of what we say to other people should be positive it should be encouraging I just threw that eighty percent out there I don't know maybe ninety maybe seventy-five whatever but eighty percent should be loving and encouraging and positive within that kinda culture we need to love each other enough not just to encourage but to actually confront when necessary. And it should be hard. But when when someone who is endangering themselves spiritually, we need enough love for them to do the hard thing. I'd love you enough to say these words. I'd love you enough to bring you back from the path of sin. I'd love you enough to... Help you guard yourself from relational disaster. I love you. I'm concerned for you. When there is a real issue, it it needs to be sorted out. and, And we need to run to it instead of running away from it. So how do we do this? It's a matter of both heart and skill heart, and skill. Uh, One commentator says, it takes both toughness and tenderness. Toughness and tenderness to rescue people from sin. Some of us are tough. Some of us are just tender. But it takes the combination of both. We need to pray for a heart of toughness, a heart of tenderness, and then learn the skills actually, learn the skills of healthy confrontation. And I'm going to tell you right now this is not a tool to be used for healthy confrontation. If your way of handling confrontation is texting the other person, throw it away. It is unhelpful. It doesn't hear. You cannot hear the tone. You cannot hear the heart. You cannot see the body. You cannot see anything like that. If you are trying to confront somebody via email or text message, you are failing from the get-go. Put it away. Okay. Just making sure. It involves spending most of our time encouraging and then approaching somebody in a non-accusatory way and saying something like this. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I'm seeing this issue and just wanted to ask you about it because I care about it, about you. I could be wrong, but I'm seeing this and I care about you can you help me to understand? Do you hear the the tone? I could be wrong. Position of humility. I see this. I'm concerned. I'm showing my heart. Can you help me understand? Some of us just need to get help and to get counsel from others. How do you do this? You, you're really good at conflict management. C- can you help me? Or can you sit with me in this conf- this, this conversation? Because I'm hot. Or I'd never do well. Could you come along with me? Learn how to separate. We also need to learn how to separate minor issues for major issues, because those are that—that's really an issue for for some of us. Everything is a major issue. Everything gets you hot, and when in reality, you're angry about what? You're angry about donut holes that have sh- powdered sugar on them. Because it's making a mess in your house. That's probably not a big deal. Get out the vacuum. It's called Christian hospitality. So we got to be able to discern the major issues and the minor issues. Uh, Jude said in his very short book, he said this, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment staining with flesh. Man, there's all kinds of ways of that we got to address and look at each situation. So friends, we, we need confrontation. We need it. We, we need it individually. But we also need it uh, as, as a church. So we need to run into the tension instead of away from the tension. So can we commit... As a church, as individuals, as as family members here, can we commit to gentle, godly, healthy confrontation when it's necessary and even when it's hard? Can we commit to that? That, Because that's what we need as a church. And, And it should be hard. It's difficult. But let's commit to doing it as gently and as tenderly as possible But let's still do it. So that's that's the first lesson, that we all need godly confrontation. The church in Corinth needed it. But here's the second thing. The right kind of godly confrontation can and even should lead to health and joy. Look at the results of Paul's confrontation in verse 9, would you? As it is, I rejoice. I rejoice because you were grieved. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. You can see it in in verses 6 and 7 too. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the comforting of Titus and not only by his coming but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced still more. If you read this whole passage, you read words like comforted, rejoiced, refreshed, in the middle of what are we talking about? Confrontation. How many of you, in the midst of confrontation, feel comforted, rejoiced, and refreshed? Godly confrontation, because it was healthy here, and because the Corinthians responded in a godly way, it brought about health, and it brought about about comfort and joy. It brought about refreshment to both Paul, Titus, and the church. That's what healthy confrontation can bring to us individually and to a church. It can refresh our souls. It can, it can actually, to the one who is being confronted, it can be like a, thank you. I, I needed somebody to say that. You have rescued me. Thank you. I am refreshed. I am experiencing more joy and satisfaction. Did you see what it took? It took somebody who is willing to do the hard and healthy work of confrontation. And then it took a church that was willing to repent in a godly way. Henry Cloud, in one of his books, talks about what is a truly safe, and I would say a truly healthy kind of person. And he said, this is one of the marks of a truly safe slash healthy person. They are confrontable. They are confrontable. Why? Why? Because godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and a salvation without regret. So we need godly grief. We need to be the kind of people that have a godly grief and a godly kind of repentance. But what is the difference between godly grief and worldly grief? Because Paul lays them out, right? There's... There's the kind of grief that is self-centered. It's, it's sorrow that we got caught. It's a, a sorrow for the consequences that we now have to face. I, I've, I've had that kind of worldly grief frequently. If in a confrontation that Laura and I are having, and she exposes something. Uh, about a sin in my life a way that i handled something a, a lack of communication there's immediately a kind of a, a worldly grief like oh i'm caught i'm so busted in my lie our kids even in discipline you bust them and their immediate is like Argh. oh i'm so sorry that now i'm grounded that's not worldly grief Or that's not godly grief, that is worldly grief. Worldly grief is basically about us and how we feel. It doesn't change us. It it, it doesn't do enough. And Paul writes that this kind of grief ultimately leads to death. It'll lead to a relational death. And ultimately, it can even lead to a spiritual death. But there's another kind of grief. It's the grief that comes from knowing that we have offended a good and holy God. It realizes that we've, according to Kevin DeYoung, violated his law, rejected his lordship, and have made ourselves God in his place. Godly grief, according to Kevin DeYoung, recognizes the utter sinfulness of sin and hates it more and more. The Heidelberg Catechism. Man, I am on a continental reformed kind of push today. But uh, the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer eighty nine gives a good definition of worldly grief, or sorry, godly grief. Mix them two up. Godly grief is to be genuinely sorrow, sorry for sin, to hate it more and more, and to run away from it. That is what godly grief is. That's why each week, my friends, as we gather together as a community, we confess our sins. There's a purpose to what we do here together. We are called into worship to, before this holy God. He has the first word. And we He is... He is beautiful. He is wonderful. We, we sing. We sing to Him. But then we also got to remember that we need to confess our sins. And we need to run to the cross of Christ. But we are also assured of our place. The good news we proclaim every week is necessary. The New City Catechisms. Asked three questions. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Immediately, all of you should go, no. It says, since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently, consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed, consistently. Then it asks, is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? The answer is yes to satisfy His justice, God Himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to Himself and delivers us from sin and from punishment for sin by a Redeemer. We we even heard that in in the catechism that we read together. And then the last question from the uh, New City is, does Christ's death mean all sins can be forgiven? Yes! Yes! Yes, because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. God graciously imputes His righteousness to us as if we it were our own and will remember our sins no more. So because of these truths, we can confess our sins with joy. We should, we should, when we are, we should be able to say, you're right. Yes. Thank you. You have exposed another area in my life that has remained hidden and in the closet, in the dark. Thank you for bringing it to light. Let's confess that sin with joy, with gladness, because I know by confessing and identifying and attacking that sin, I will become more Christ-like. It should bring about joy. We should be willing to accept a a rebuke from our brothers and sisters because we hear in their words, my friend, you have a Savior. You have a Savior who cleanses you and forgives you. Come with me to Christ. And it should bring happiness and wholeness and satisfaction and joy and refreshment when we do those things. Frederica Matthews-Greens writes this. And I love this. Repentance is the doorway to the spiritual life. The only way to begin. Repentance is the doorway. That's not diminishing Christ, right? But it's recognizing my sin is holding me back from going more fully towards Christ. She goes on to say, it is also the pathway itself, the only way to continue. Anything else is foolishness and self-delusion. Only repentance is both brute honest enough and joyous enough to bring us all the way home. But how repentance could be either joyous or vibrantly true is a foreign idea to most of us. So we need, my friends, we need godly confrontation. Every one of us. And we need need to long for even that confrontation. And we need to be ready for it. Because it brings about a healthy individual. It brings about a healthy marriage. It brings about healthy relationships. It brings about healthy workplaces. It brings about a healthy church. And we also need the right kind of godly confrontation. Because the right kind of godly confrontation is going to bring back and offer us health and joy. That's what we need. So let me ask you, are you willing to run to the tension? Some of you need to run, kind of pull back. But for most of us, it's are you willing to run into the tension, the difficulties? Are Are you willing to love others enough Not love your ministries, not love your call, not love your ideas, not love your preferences, but are you willing to love others enough to confront them when it is needed? And do it gently, tenderly but strongly. My friends, we can do this. We can do this because of Jesus. And when we do it, it is going to lead to a church that is full of health. It's going to lead to a church that's full of joy, both individually and And what a beautiful picture, a thing that we can offer to a watching world. Look at how they love each other. Look at how they love each other. They open their lives to correction. And they long for correction. Look at how they love each other and how they confront each other they do it tenderly they do it with love and compassion and it's beautiful they're not weak-kneed they're clear and what a beautiful picture that we can offer of God's work in us Because, my friends, this is what Jesus does for us. He confronts us in our sin. If we have ears to hear, He confronts us. And we experience conviction if we have ears to hear. He is clear, tender, He may even uh, use discipline and it may hurt. But his desire ultimately is for godly repentance that leads to salvation, which is a picture of wholeness, which is a picture of Christ-likeness. This is what God does through Jesus Christ. So my friends, let's be a church known for its godly confrontation that brings about joy, health, and refreshment. Amen?